1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to continue, uh, finish up tonight this story. Obviously, it's such a big uh, part of a well-known story, and so I want to take as much as we can out of it. I wanted to mention, uh, to on, be in prayer, and I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but uh, let's be in prayer for uh, Tuesday nights. We do have a visiting going on still on Tuesday nights. We'll, we'll ramp it up a little more when it warms up. Uh, but we have teams going out at 5.30. We have going out at 6.30. And so if you're ever willing or would like to uh, visit or get involved in that, just uh, see me or see Pastor Forsberg, and we'll hook you up, and we'll even assign you one. And you can go and, and uh, ladies to ladies and such things. So if you're interested in that, uh, see us. Uh, he mentioned, too, we prayed last week for for uh, no snow and we got ice. I, I can tell you what happened. So last year, I learned a lesson. Never take the snow shovels and put them in the shed until like June because I took the snow shovels down, put them in the shed, and then we got snow. And it was like middle or toward the end of April. So this this, we didn't. We took no snow shovels down. But Pastor Nick, this is his fault. He took the salt and put it away we got ice, we got no snow. I'm just saying. I'm glad I'm not superstitious, but it seems like that is working. I don't know. Um, we're, st- we're in the study of the life of Saul, and tonight I want to finish up on this duel that we're looking at in chapter 17. Sh- Saul has shirked his duty. His star is sinking. David's star is rising. And uh, so it's fallen so Saul and all the soldiers are not taking on Goliath, who's been walking back and forth for 40 days. And uh, it takes a young man, no much more than a boy, to show up on the scene and take charge and actually go out and fight this giant. So we've worked our way up to the exchanges before the victory. Let's look at the verse 43s we're going to start reading tonight. Actually, let's start at verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves or sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee unto mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Some strong language there. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you... Into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And the Philistines saw their champion was dead. They fled. What a story, huh? Let's get into it. Father, we pray you'd bless this evening now as we look at the final notes that we want to make on this passage. Pray you'd help us to be challenged with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Goliath was offended. 
So David comes walking out to him, and Goliath was upset and offended because, uh, and he even said, Am I, you think I'm some kind of dog? What, what is this, sending a boy out to fight me? He was the champion. Uh, he was the, the top soldier that the Philistines had, and here they send out a boy. Now, of course, we can imagine Goliath would be a very proud man, very worried and concerned about himself being revered by others because of his place in that army. So Goliath was concerned about Goliath's honor, but David was concerned about God's honor. Notice that that uh, pattern as we go throughout this passage here. People who are primarily concerned with their own honor uh, typically have a problem with pride, and they're also typically corrupt because pride is like a drum. By the very emptiness of it, it makes noise. <laughs> There's not much there, but pride will make a lot of noise, like Goliath was here. And so he was, in verse 43, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He was a corrupt man. Uh, a corrupt mouth reflects a corrupt man. And uh, he says in verse 44, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. The promise here is all based on self. Notice the difference between David's promises and Goliath's promises. It's interesting to see the two uh, as they're, they're not just smack-talking here. We can get some lessons from what they're saying. He's all on himself. Goliath didn't need God. He's going to do it all himself. When you leave God out in any endeavor of your life, you're probably not headed toward victory, as Goliath was not here either. Now, look at what David says, verse 45. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Goliath's arm, armor, we talked about that two weeks ago, was impressive. He was like a, he, he was the original Iron Man, Goliath was. He had, he is coated in brass. He had all this armor. He would have been a very impressive sight. But as I said before, brass is no match for the armor of God. And David had the armor of God. Uh, when, when, if God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 45, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Now notice how David was offended. This is interesting. Goliath was offended when he thought they were making fun of him or making light of him. It was all about himself. David is offended. Uh, but, and, and by the way, he continues to curse David. He gets very angry about it. And uh, he, he does, we don't know all that he said. I mean, this might not be everything that he said, but he, he said he cursed uh, David by his gods. What did he say there? I mean, you're nothing, you're weak. Your mama wears combat boots or whatever. He has. That used to be an insult. I don't know if it's an insult anymore because I've seen some... Ladies and comment, we'll keep going on. But uh, no matter what David, no matter what Goliath said about David, uh, that did not offend David in the least. But when he cursed God, that offended David. Now look at what he was offended about in verse forty-five. Uh, I come to thee in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. That's what bothered David. And what he cursed him by his gods and all that. that that rolled right off David's back. Because David's not concerned about himself. This is important. Because Goliath is all focused on himself. And uh, David is focused on God. If we could just get less bent out of shape when someone snubs us, when someone is rude to us, when somebody hurts our feelings, and if we would put more effort and focus on defending the honor of God, 
than constantly being concerned about how somebody looks at us, what they say about us, how they treat us. Then, And if we would defend God's honor with the same tenacity that we defend ourselves, we'd be in better shape. David didn't care a whit what Goliath said about him. But when Goliath started talking about his God, remember what he said to the soldiers? Who's going to do something about this man? Who's defying the God of Israel? This is a problem in David's mind. And so we need to take this lesson to heart. People that defend themselves and are very self-defensive, that leads to carnality. People who defend God, that leads to spirituality. That's going to be two directions we can take in our life. One of the differences of these two men seen in this little chat they're having is this matter of honor. David was not upset how Goliath spoke about him, but he was on how, Dave, uh, how Goliath viewed God and talked about God. David wasn't like Goliath, only worried about defending himself, making himself look good. One was concerned about his own personal honor, and the other was concerned about God's honor, and that's going to make a big difference in determining the victory in this story here. It's also going to make a big difference, the victory in your life. Because if you are primarily focused on me in, inward, we're not going to be victorious. We need to be uh, focused on the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. All right, verse 46, David continues. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. This is big talk. I mean, can you picture the scene? Yeah, you big talker, you know, and he's probably still got a squeaky voice, and he's yelling at Goliath. This little guy is yelling at Goliath. He's not a tall man like Goliath is, you know, 11 feet tall, making all these threats. But what made David's promise so good that it was prefaced by, the Lord will deliver thee into my hand. He's not saying, I'm doing it. He keeps saying, God's going to do this. Goliath left God out. David trusted God here. Again, remember... And, and, and Goliath, as we go throughout this story, represents the giants in our lives. We have giants that we need to overcome, whether it be addiction, whether it be sometimes relationships with somebody, or whatever it is, the giant we need to overcome. And when we look at the focus on the giant like the Israelite army did, leaving God out, he looks big. He looks impossible. He looks unbeatable. He looks undefeatable. But when you compare him to God, Israelite army looked at Goliath and said, my, but he's big. David looked at Goliath compared to God. My, he's nothing compared to what God can do. And that's the difference here. Verse 46, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. This was David's purpose in winning the battle. Goliath's purpose is exalting himself. David's purpose is exalting God. I'm telling you, if we start to make our goal in life to exalt God with everything we do and say, we're going to see more victories than if we're trying to exalt ourselves. So what do you seek in your life? Seeking your own glory brings defeat. Seeking God's glory brings victory. Now, let's look at the execution here. It's kind of brutal. A little bit R-rated in its <laughs> description here. Uh, look at the method of execution. David, verse 49, put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and fell upon his face of the earth. The method of execution here was a slingshot. Now, a sling, not the pullback. It's the uh, sling they used would be a, a long strap with a pouch in the middle, and they would spin it like this and release one side. Um, it was a practical 
weapon. The sling was not impractical. In fact, we might consider it strange and we uh, talk about it because it's not a weapon that we would use, but it was a very logical weapon that David could have chosen. He can't get close enough to Goliath to use a sword. He can't use a dagger. Goliath's huge. He'd step on him. You know, he just would, he'd wipe him out very quickly. But with a sling, he could get Goliath from a distance. And when we go to battle for God, as Christians, our methods may seem strange to the world, but they work. They're not impractical. They seem impractical to the world, but they're not impractical to us uh, to un who understand the Scriptures. I'll give you an example. I have occasionally will talk to people, um, uh, counsel all different things, but sometimes I, I've uh, talked to people about their finances and, and try to help with financial, especially as, as folks ask for help from the church, and we, we talk uh, always give counsel for that. And if somebody comes to me with financial trouble, they can't make the bills, they, can't, they don't have enough money at the end of the month to pay the bills, I always talk to them about tithing. Now, th again, this makes no sense to the world. You can't take your calculator out and, just, and explain it. But I tell you, if you tithe, you'll do better with your bills than if you don't tithe. It's just a fact. It's Bible fact. And I have proven in my life, I've seen it proved in many, many other people's lives as well. In fact, I've given the challenge many times, you try it for three months. Just try it and tell me if you get better or worse. And I've never had anybody say, I tithed and my finances were worse. Not happened because we have that promise from God. It used to worry me throwing that challenge down. It doesn't anymore because uh, I understand the principle from the Bible. Um, somebody says, my coworker hates me. And then we counsel from the Bible, then you ought to love them. Do good to those who despitefully use you, the Bible says. Love your enemies. That's not, that doesn't make any sense to the world's way of thinking. But God's weapons aren't the same as man's weapons. I'm just saying this wasn't impractical when it comes to getting the job done. Serving God is never impractical, even though it seems like that in the, uh, to the world sometimes. The illogical ones, by the way, are the people that... Uh, go against God and his ways. So it was practical. It was also popular. The sling was actually not unknown in military at that time. You could say that the sling was the rifle of that period. Uh, men were very skilled at it. The Bible says in Judges 20.16, uh, we read about the men of the tribe of Benjamin who could sling stones at a hair breadth and not miss. That's a... A hair is pretty thin, you know, and they, they, could, they could hit targets like that. King Uzziah armed his military with slings that to cast stones in 2 Chronicles 26, 14. So when David's using a sling against Goliath, it's not a totally unheard of method. It was a military weapon, but David was not military. This is really the, the, the impressive part. Yeah, there were men that could do this, but he wasn't a military person. He was just a shepherd. It tells me that he spent many, many hours perfecting this. I don't think that this is an accident that, I mean, of course, God helped him, but uh, I think that David was skilled in this, uh, and diligence is always rewarded. We could say, well, David was lucky. I agree with Benjamin Franklin. Diligence is the mother of good luck. And I think that David was diligent in this. And so it was, uh, it was practical, it was popular, it was also powerful. The power of the slingshot can be seen in the fact that when he sent it through the air at Goliath, the Bible says it sunk into his forehead, verse 49. Now, if it's, did you know, by the way, this is where you can headbutt people? This is one of the strongest 
uh, parts of your body. Uh, you can do incredible damage using your forehead because this is a very strong part, and it sunk into his forehead. Imagine what it would do if it hit a softer part of your body. For Brother Jeremy, it would be right here. In the sense, I'm just kidding. Uh, I owed him one. <laughs> but uh, this was a very powerful weapon, and it was also precise. And so it was. Uh, you could be very accurate with a sling. Again, sling, sling stones at an hair breadth and not miss, is the Benjamites. Precision was needed here. He didn't have a big target. He was covered in brass, Goliath was, but there was an opening right here, and that's what David went for, and that's what he hit. Uh, the sling from David's, uh, or the stone from his sling hit the opening in just the right place. Now, of course, there was a miracle too is here uh, in, in the fact that God was in it. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. He, God was definitely in, the, in this, but God is not in the habit of slaying giants without men with slingshots. Let me just illustrate this, because David is out practicing. I, I believe he had practice with this. I don't think this is new to him. And he had prepared himself, and now God used him. So David hitting Goliath with his first shot, he had five. He had five, you know, one in the chamber and three in the clip, and four in the clip, essentially. And he had five, but he hit him the very first time. It involves, yes, probably a miracle on God's part, but also diligence on David's part. God does not pr pr promote and provide miracles for us in a way that would make us lazy. He uses people. Now, I read this week the Hodges meteorite on November 30th, 1954, fell in Oak Grove, Alabama. It was a meteor that fell from space. It was an eight-pound rock, about the size of a softball, and it went through the roof of a farmhouse, and it hit Ann Hodges while she's napping on the couch. Uh, she didn't die from it, but it, it hurt her, you know, as you can imagine. Uh, that's why it's called a Hodges meteorite. Um, how'd you like to wake up to that? Like a meteorite from space coming through your roof and waking you up. Now, question, could God have used a meteorite and knocked Goliath out on those 40 days that he was walking back and forth? Yes. But God uses men and women to do his work. He uses men uh, to He uses us to reach others, the, the lost with the gospel. Uh, he uses the foolishness of preaching to bring about salvation. He uses people who are diligent, who are prepared and who are willing to get in the battle for him. He had a whole bunch of soldiers who weren't willing, so he couldn't do the work with them. We've got to be willing servants ready to be used of him. If you want a Goliath-slaying miracle in your life, then be diligent with where God has you. Do what you know. Do what you can, and God will use you. Do whatever's necessary to improve and perfect your service for God, and God will use your effort to do great things. I think it's so important that we see that. Uh, yes, God could kill Goliath. He could have done it on his own, easily. But he used a man to do it. He could feed 5,000 out of nothing. He, he, could have, he rained manna from heaven in the Old Testament. He could have rained manna on the 5,000, but he didn't. He used a little boy and he used his lunch. Someone who was willing to give everything he had, and he used that to feed 5,000. I'm just saying, be willing to be used. And be willing to take a risk, because that's what David did here as well. 
that we see the momentum as verse 51, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and the Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. David's killing Goliath had a, obviously a tremendous, tremendously devastating effect on the Philistines. Can you imagine? Just stop and think about it. This is their champion. I mean, beat, can beat anything that comes in his path. So the Israelites send out a boy, and he kills him. And this had to be a shock. And this boy, after he, you know, not to be gory, but he knocks him, puts the stone in his forehead, that knocks him out cold. It doesn't kill him yet. So David climbs up on top of him, literally, takes his sword and saws his head off. And uh, that, that then did kill him. That usually does the job if you actually take somebody's head from them. And that's what he had said he's going to do. I will take your head from you. So... The Philistines fled. It inspired the Israelites to suddenly get busy about getting into the battle. And they went after the Philistines. What an influence David had on that whole army to win a great victory. And his influence, by the way, was a lot better than Saul's, who was sitting in his tent doing nothing. We're talking about impact. And he had an impact. He got involved. He let God use him. And a whole nation got behind him. And I ask you tonight, what kind of influence are you to those around you? Do you help others, inspire them to greater things, or do you hold others back? This speaks of impact in, in the fact that David's personal victory had a national impact because he was willing to be used by God. Many F Philistines were killed. The remaining Philistines were driven back to their land, and, and we see here that God's victories, as they always are, are conclusive victories. Amen. So, uh, look at verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Now, I've heard that the human head weighs eight pounds. I think Goliath was probably more um, uh, because he was a really big man. So here he is lugging this. It's not a scene that we would think about much in these days. You know, uh, David, what you got there? It's a head. So uh, he's dragging this head back. and uh, But imagine taking the head of Goliath to Jerusalem, which was a Jebusite stronghold, would send a message to the enemies of Israel, wouldn't it? Again, making an impact. Uh, the thought of lugging a humongous head throughout the countryside seems a little gruesome to us, and indeed it was. But can I tell you, it would not hurt us to have some memorials to the, uh, to the ugliness of sin in our country as well. We, we clean that stuff up so much. We don't show the terrible price of what sin does to us. Sin is falsely advertised in beautiful pictures and, and, uh, in, 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 and in nice scenes. Uh, Goliath, he was all impressive in his brass, but when his head ended up in a suitcase traveling the country, it didn't look so good anymore. And, and we need to do that with, you know, as, as we're working with young people, we're, we're just calling sin what it is. Sin is destructive, it is evil, it is wicked, and uh, we need to quit cleaning it up. The results of sin are hideous. We need some reminders of that. And that's what his head was. It was a reminder. This is what happens when you mess with God and God's people. And uh, it's a good thing for us to... Men need more of the truth, not less of it, is what I'm saying. Then, it, it, where we're ending tonight... And I don't get this. When, when uh, Verse 55, when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of his host, Abner, whose son is this youth? I have no idea what that's all about. And I've searched, and something I've learned about commentaries, I don't know if you lose commentaries much, but if you ever come across a real confusing portion of Scripture, you're like, I want to find out 
what that means. Commentators all skip over it too. It means they're not that much smarter than we are. Because whenever you really are confused on something, I'm on, they just kind of don't answer the question. And I looked at quite a few, and uh, it is a puzzle to commentators. Nobody could answer. Why wouldn't Saul know David? He's been his, he not only his harpist, personal assistant, armor bearer, and why wouldn't Abner know who David was? As my soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. David was the king's armor bearer. And Abner, his general, wouldn't know who he was. I, I don't get it, but it's not a surprising thing because wicked men never know the people they ought to know. They don't know who's they don't know righteous people. They usually don't uh, realize who the best people in their administration are. It's th this type of ignorance is typical of world leaders today. They don't recognize their best people. Now the careers of Saul and Abner declined. Uh, vastly from this point going forward where David's obviously uh, kept on getting greater and succeeding. Men who are deficient in the knowledge of God's men will not succeed where it counts most. And uh, it would have been, it would have, it would have done them well to get close to David and find out, you know, how they could improve themselves. But wicked men don't do that. They just keep going down further and further, and that's what Saul did. What does Saul do after David becomes a national hero for killing Goliath? He tries to kill him for years, chases him, and uh, we'll get to that as we go along. But the takeaway question for tonight is this. Are you willing to step out on faith, take a risk? Because you have a giant in your life. We all do. We have something that needs to be defeated, sometimes on a daily basis. And if you're not willing to go out, step out and trust God, then your giant's going to do what Goliath did. Just walk back and forth, stay in front of you, keep bugging you, keep staying in your life. You're never going to be able to get rid of it completely until you strap on the armor of God and take it on in the power of God. Uh, that's really the only way we're going to have an impact. Give God your sling and your stone, and he'll help you defeat giants. Thank you, Father.